You're listening to Penguin Tracks on 89.5 KOPN Columbia. On the phone with me is Allie Anderson. She wrote the book, Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox, Why the Unreachable May Be the Key to the Next Great Awakening. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I work for um, Defender Publishing. I'm the head of the research part of the Defender Publishing. Um, I have my credentials as a private investigator, and some people think that makes me a detective, but it's actually a different thing. Um, to be a re- to be an investigator is is to have better background with research and things like that. It's different than doing stakeouts. Um, I've been writing for several years. I am Tom Horn's daughter, so <laughs> he keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> um, the book Millennial Paradox, Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox, is um, basically about the ever-growing gap between the millennial generation and the church and um, and how they are leaving the church. That uh, exodus is actually increasing all the time, and so that's what that book is about. Um, and I'm not I'm not real sure what all you want to know. I'm a mother of two, mm-hmm. and um, so it's a matter that's personal to me because the millennial generation, I've got two of them. So. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us a little bit more about the book and why you decided to write it. Okay. Well, um, the book, here's how the story began. Okay. We were on a business trip, and I've been writing and researching for Defender Publishing for several years now, mm-hmm. and we were on a trip, and Tom had sent me some emails, and he'll do this. He'll just send out email stories, and um, he'll say, hey, check this out, or we should think about writing about this sometime. And so he had sent me several of these stories within the couple of days preceding this trip that we took out of town. Mm -hmm. And we were on a business trip. And while we were sitting at dinner the first night of this business trip, he said to me, did you read the stories I sent you an email? And I said, no, I haven't had a chance yet. I was going to uh, read them when we get back. I'd been too busy preparing for the trip. And he starts telling me all of these statistics about the millennials and how the suicide rate is at an all-time high, um, how they're leaving the church. And um, the one that really struck me, there are several statistics <clears throat> about millennials. For starters, uh, it's, suicide is now the second highest killer of people ages 25 to 44 years old. Mm-hmm. So what it, I'm sorry, 15 to 35. Suicide is now the highest killer of people ages 15 to 35 years old. And um, the only thing that outranks suicide is car accidents. And every year... 160,000 people are hospitalized for self-inflicted wounds, which means that the suicide rate would be even higher if those people had been successful with their suicide attempts. And he gave me some other statistics like that, but the one that really, really hit me is this one. When I graduated high school in 1993, the big scare was HIV. Yes. And HIV has now been replaced as the sixth highest killer of people ages 25 to 44 years old. And the reason that it has been replaced is because cirrhosis of the liver, specifically related to alcohol abuse, has replaced it. So what this means is by the time a person is 25 years old, they've already begun to drink themselves to death. And I've known people 
who had cirrhosis of the liver. Um, I had I had people that I watched drink throughout my childhood. I didn't live with them, but I knew them throughout my childhood, and they were really heavy drinkers. And then when I was an early adult, they died of cirrhosis of the liver. Mm-hmm. And that was very sad, but I understood how they arrived there because they were older and they had spent a lot of years drinking. When you tell me that somebody who's 25 has begun to drink themselves to death, that points to years of self-medicating. So when you add that together with these suicide rates, it tells me that those who haven't just given up and tried to kill themselves are drinking very heavily and are self-medicating to numb the pain. And at the same time, this generation is leaving the church. Um, 59% of those who have, of millennials who were raised in church, have actually left the church. And so at the same time, atheism is on the decline, which means this is a spiritual generation, you know, um, Satanism is at an all-time high, Wicca is at an all-time high, New Age is at an all-time high, and yet the church is seeing a decline. And all these things put together told me this church is, this, this generation is desperately seeking, and they're not finding the answers, and as they continue to not find the answers, they're giving up on life. So that was the really long version of how did this book come to be. And as we were having this conversation at dinner that night, we started talking about the digital interface and how the world has changed and quickly we figured out that this is a matter of the heart and this generation is very lost and their experience of a heightened loss of hope and um, so that was a really long way of explaining how this book came to be when we came to the conclusion that that this is what this generation this is the reality of this generation we had to we had to research it and create a book explaining what's going on what happened, what changed, and how can we reach them? And that's the essence of this book. How can the church get them back? How can we guide them back into the church? Okay, well, this, <laughs> this is a confusing topic in the sense that some of the things that the, that the young people are saying to the church mm-hmm. feel like they contradict each other. So, for example, the young people say, we want a church that doesn't condemn the culture around it. And then at the same time, they say, we want a church that will tackle the tough issues and speak the scriptural truth in an unwavering fashion. So (laughs) these two things feel like they can't coexist. But when you start to kind of peel back the layers to what they're asking for, it all comes back to community and mentorship. It comes back to an active body of Christ. Millennials are the most activist generation Mm -hmm. in the history of the world statistically speaking. And so what we look at when we see these people is a generation that wants to do two things. They want to reach geographically, they want to reach a further region than their geographic location, and they want to make changes that last longer than their lifespan. So when we look at an activist generation, what we realize is these are people that don't want to go sit in a Bible study mm-hmm. every Wednesday night or every Sunday morning or whatever time and place your church meets, and feel like the same six people are being fed, but nobody else's lives are being changed. Really, it comes down to the parable of the sheep and the goats. This generation wants to see a church that is active in its communities, and they want to know that the church is taking powerful activist action 
toward making sure the hungry are being fed, that the naked are being clothed, um, that the that the downtrodden and estranged are being visited and encouraged. And to them, the old tradition of church, as we know it, where we where we go together and it's those same handfuls of congregants who read the Bible together, but no new people are coming in, and the people who are meeting are not reaching outside of the church building. That feels stagnant to them, and it's frustrating to them. And unfortunately, their response is to go out into the world and find other activist movements that are taking place that will make them feel like they are making vital changes to the world. But unfortunately, a lot of those movements have agendas that are exploiting these young people to their own demise. So the church has basically, you know, got to become active in their communities, and they have to really focus on these very strategic and practical problem-solving methods, such as what is listed in the sheep and the goats. Um, The other thing is that as this generation comes around back into the church, they want to see people who live what they preach, and they want to see people who are, as the Bible says, you know, Christians who are known by their love. And um, it's, it's a tricky balance because we cannot give up scriptural truth, but we do need to love these people as they come in. If they feel like they're being, um, you know, met with a legalistic or a judgmental agenda, they won't stay. So it's, it's a very tricky balance, and it comes down to a matter of the heart. Will we love these people while teaching them scriptural truth? It's a yes-no question, and um, that, becomes, that becomes tricky for these young people if they don't feel like they are being met with the love of Jesus and the accepting, kind, and loving way that we are told in the Bible to treat people, and yet we have to meet them with scriptural truth as well. What are some of the core questions millennials should ask to develop a sense of direction? Okay, so here it goes back to the fact that some of the requests that millennials have toward the church, the way that they've been articulated can be a little bit confusing. And so here's, I'll give you an example. Some of the millennials have been frustrated, as I've said before, with the fact that they don't see the church doing things like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. Um, And one of the hang-ups that we run into is that old-school church government follows the scripture of don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Mm -hmm. And so we have churches that actually do give to the poor. The church actually, by and large, does a lot to help the needy, but they don't go out and advertise it. And when millennials see the same handfuls of people meeting in the church building each week, and they don't see new people coming in, and the church is not making an announcement, by the way, this last week we donated, you know, X amount of dollars to this local food bank, or we donated so many coats or backpacks to the local school for the needy children. The church doesn't always get up and announce that, and so sometimes millennials get the idea that this isn't happening. But if you look at the statistics, churches are still, by and large, giving a lot of money to the needy and a lot of resources to the needy and sending a lot of money overseas for causes over there as well. And so my encouragement to a millennial is to ask questions Rather than make assumptions, ask questions that reveal whether or not your assumption is true. So, for example, you could go to your church leadership and say, hey, are we doing anything for the needy in our community, and if so, what? Or are we sending money overseas to help, you know, the victims of 
a certain natural disaster that's happened in another country, you know, who have been displaced from their homes. Have we sent any money over there for that cause? And if so, how much? If so, why not? You can attend a meeting at your church and listen in. And a lot of times this financial information is discussed in those meetings. It's just not necessarily announced from the pulpit. And so a lot of times what's happening is People are making assumptions that things are not taking place in the church. They get frustrated and they leave, and if they would have asked the right questions, they could have realized that actually some of these things are being done. It's just that it's not being announced. There is a communication interrupt between the church government and a lot of the regularly attending congregants. And those who are in the congregation who are on the board or maybe are the deacons or, you know, are somehow more in the know, they might be more informed of what's going on. But a lot of times the people who only attend the church and are not active within the church government of that facility don't realize all of the activism that is actually taking place in that church. We hear this a lot but in what ways does a social media do more harm than good? That is its own book <laughs> and, and so many record, so many, so many radio sessions. Um, I will truncate very quickly that there are a handful of different ways that the digital interface is really creating a lot of problems right now. It, it's a good thing in a lot of ways because it brings people together hypothetically, but there's this undertone of sabotage that also takes place. So for example, social media, there are a few ways that just social media is detrimental. One, many of us only post what we want the world to know about us on social media. So everything appears to be so good in in, in different people's lives. And because we don't post the bad things, other people assume that our lives are only good. What this means for an individual who feels isolated is that everybody around them who they would consider to be their peers appear to be having such a better life than they are, which makes them feel like their life is bad or they become depressed or they feel like they're some kind of a failure or a loser because they're not as successful as their peers and they can't figure out what's different. Here's what's different. They see every moment of their life. They're only seeing the highlight of other people's lives. That's one way. Another way is that social media for many people has become the substitute for interpersonal interaction. Now, we are made in God's image. We are wired for community, and we are wired for interaction with our maker. And when we substitute online for this, when we substitute an online interaction with either God or other people for what we are hardwired to need in person, in the flesh, it, it creates a, a feeling of isolatedness, and it, it makes us feel displaced from something that is in our core as a desire, even though for a lot of people it's hard to put our finger on. And the reason that it's hard for them to put their finger on it and articulate what exactly is missing when online interface is substituted for the interpersonal dynamic is because of the fact that so many people were raised with media and with digital interface replacing that interpersonal connection they've never experienced it for they haven't experienced a lot of it in the first place so they can't really figure out what's missing and yet being made in the image of god wired for community we we feel that need but because we haven't had it fully met the way that god intended for it to be met it's hard to identify what's missing and put our finger on another way that social media and the digital interface is detrimental is the fact that as we grow and we interact with people, 
social building blocks and nuances are formed and developed throughout childhood and you know adolescence and early adulthood and when we spend so much time behind a screen there's a disconnect from how to behave with other people and interact with other people and how to read the way that other people are interacting with us it breeds an emotional disconnect from other people that causes lots of young people to feel completely innately isolated and again it's something they feel but they have trouble articulating and it messes with people's heads even when they are as connected as they understand how to be they still feel that sense that something's missing and that is why millennials are called the most isolated and the loneliest generation where can people get this book okay the book is for sale on skywatchtvstore.com um, you can go there and you can literally type in Millennial Paradox mm-hmm. um, or Millennial Anderson, Paradox Anderson. Yeah. The title of the book is Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox, and it is by me, Allie Anderson, and you can buy it on um, skywatchtvstore.com. It's available through other outlets as well, but it's, um, it comes with free extras that are found at Skywatch TV Store. For example, um, it has also been converted into a Sunday school curriculum in case churches would like to use this with their adult classes to talk about outreach toward the younger generations. And um, that is only available at Skywatch TV Store when you buy the book. What are you currently working on? Currently, mm-hmm. we are working on a book about the election Next year, it will be by Tom Horn, but he has me doing some research for it. Um, I just started it this week. We've um, we've just finished our first annual Defender Conference, and so that had mandated the last couple weeks of my time getting prepared for that. And before that, uh, Josh Peck, Donna Howell, and I um, put sent to the editor just completed a book called The Afterlife, and it's about, uh, you know, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, what the Bible really says about the afterlife mm-hmm. versus, you know, modern misconceptions about heaven and hell and things like that. Uh, Josh Peck writes a lot about quantum physics and how the afterlife is a realm um, in that book. Donna Howell discusses spiritual and theological elements, so that's our most recent work. And just before that, we wrote a book called Encounters, Donna Howell and I did, and it is about true stories of angelic interventions and, again, talking about the theological truth of what angels are versus modern misconceptions. Are you on any social media websites? What about an official website? Our official products are all available at Skywatch TV Store. If you are looking for information about anything coming up or any further um, information about what we write, we do have our um, TV. Our TV is broadcasted through our Skywatch TV website. Um, You can watch episodes there. And um, we, you can find us on YouTube, but the best place to go for our archive TV stores, our, our archive TV shows, is skywatchtv.com. Is there anything- we also have a Roku channel as well, and there is an, um, there's a mobile app as well. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, actually, yes. I would like to just say that when people of this era right now, there's so much friction taking place kind of around the subject of our millennial generation. You know, so many people have called them the narcissistic generation, the me, me, me generation. What you have to understand when you think about these things is that this is also the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. They are the most isolated. They are the most abandoned generation in the history of the world. So when you see these young people, you know, and they're, they're, they're following these activist movements, and you know, 
there's so much about what they're doing that to an older person, especially a person with a, a biblical worldview, they become so frustrated with these young people. But please, please, please remember, this is the most abandoned generation in the history of the world, the most fatherless, the most isolated. And suicide is the second highest killer, followed by drug overdose, followed by cirrhosis of the liver. Um, there are a couple others in between, but those are the top, those are in the top six runner-ups for the highest killers of this generation. So when you see these people who you want to write off as unreachable or unredeemable or, you know, just just lost beyond what you know how to reach, remember that they are hurting so badly and they have not had the mentorship and the sense of community that they should have at their age. What they need is for you to reach out, mentor them, love them, and show them that God loves them and that they are not abandoned, that they are not forgotten, and they and, and just pray for them. See them as a mission field instead of a frustration. Thank you so much for the interview. It was an honor, and you have a great weekend. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, and I just appreciate you guys reaching out, and I appreciate being a guest. Thank You're, you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.